0: If you will, take your Bible and turn to Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1. That song is good news, isn't it? There are many hands that hold us in our lives. Our parents' hands hold us at first, Uh, maybe our sibling hands, siblings' hands hold us as we walk through life. Uh, We hold our children's hands, and maybe they're holding our hands uh, as that threshold is crossed, and we move from holding their hands to steady them to holding our hands to steady us. We hold the hand of the one to whom we say, I do, on a particular day, at a particular time. But all of the hands at some point let go. All of them, except one, His hand. His hand holds us when no other hand can. Whether it's in this life, or whether it's as we walk through the door of death, He will hold us fast. It's good news this morning. Joshua chapter 1, if you're using one of the Bibles in the pew... Uh, Joshua chapter 1 is on page 178 of that Bible. We are continuing our journey through the storyline of the Bible from garden to glory. In the last couple of weeks, God saved His people from slavery in Egypt through Moses. Then God gave His people the law through Moses. Then they began to journey toward... Canaan toward the promised land. But before they go in, Moses sends in 12 spies to check out the land. And all 12 of them agree, that place is great. It's got fruit coming out your ears. This place is wonderful. But 10 of them say, we don't even need to think about going in there. The cities are so big and so powerful. The The men, the soldiers, are so big and so powerful, they will snap us in two. got to stay out of there. We don't stand a chance. But two of the spies don't agree. They say the bigger they are, the harder they fall. Plus, God is with us. And if God is with us, who can be against us? They try to rally the people. Now, how do the people respond? I mean, they say, don't be afraid. Let's go. And are they ready to go? Are they ready to charge in and take the land? Well, no, actually, they're not. They're ready to charge at the two spies and kill them. Numbers chapter 14, verse 10, Then all the congregation said to stone them with stones. The people do not believe in the end that God will come through. And this unbelief leads to 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. In fact, God says the generation that came out of Egypt will not go into the promised land. None of them will enter. None, that is, except those two spies, Caleb and Joshua. Now, Joshua had been Moses' servant, and God calls Joshua to take over for Moses, to lead God's people into the Promised Land, and that brings us to Joshua chapter 1. We're going to read just the first nine verses, Joshua chapter 1. The Spirit of God says this, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go." Let's pray. Our Father, as we come to Your Word, we pray that Your Spirit will speak to us, that we might understand what it says, that it might encourage us and convict us and change us. Speak, O Lord. For your servants are listening, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder, how do you deal with going in to the unknown? Days, or maybe days that you just know will be difficult. Days when you know your faith is going to be tested. Days that you know your faith is going to be opposed, days of entering real spiritual battle. How do you enter those uncertainties when that person is now gone? He's moved away now. She has died. You know, the one who was so influential in your life, who taught you so much, who pointed you to the Lord. Uh, who who wouldn't let you just wander off, maybe a a mom or or a dad or a sibling or a a pastor or a friend or a spouse. How, How do you keep going when they're gone? Well, these verses in Joshua 1 help us to answer those kinds of questions. As we see here, as we learn here, that since God will keep His promises, take courage... And walk in obedience. Since God will keep his promises, take courage and walk in obedience. I want us to see three things that I think lead us to understand that this is what this text is really saying. The first thing I want us to see is that God repeats his promise. God repeats his promise. Now, back in Genesis 12, God had made all kinds of promises to Abraham. One of those promises was for land. Go from your country to the land that I will show you. And God repeats it several times. He repeats it to Abraham a few times. He tells Abraham's son Isaac. Then he tells Isaac's son Jacob. And then in Exodus, he tells Moses. And Moses keeps bringing it up to Israel over and over and over again. And now here they are, this generation that that grew up in the wilderness who buried their parents in the wilderness. They're on the bank of the Jordan River, on the threshold of the promised land. But Moses is gone. Moses is dead, the one who brought them out of slavery, the one who's been with them and teaching them in the wilderness. He's gone. They just had his funeral. The days of mourning him just ended, and his legacy is unparalleled. Just flip back one page from where you're at to Deuteronomy chapter 34. Beginning in verse 10. There has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. None like him. For all the signs and wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land. And for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. There is none like him. So what happens now? Where do we go from here? And the book begins, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant. Now that seems fairly harmless. And in some ways it is. But this wasn't originally written in English, you understand. It was originally written in Hebrew. And in the Hebrew language, after is not the first word in this book. The first word is actually a conjunction. It's the word and. And after the death of Moses. If you sat down to write a book, do you ever think in a million years you would start that book with the word and? You wouldn't. But what's great here is the story that they may think is over at the end of Deuteronomy is actually going to keep going in the book of Joshua. Verse 2, "'Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses.'" you know what's striking to me? Is why does God begin with the death of Moses? As if Joshua doesn't know this already. Everybody knows that Moses is dead. Why do you keep bringing him up? Why start with the obvious? Well, actually, I think it's because God wants to underline something that's very important. Essentially, God is saying that Moses was never the key to Israel getting the land. God is. And God alone is. So you see, there's no reason to throw your hands up in the air and give up. There's no reason to spiral spiral downward into depression. There's no reason for doubt. There's no reason to wonder whether the promises are still good or not. You see, the death of even the greatest human leader doesn't derail the purpose of God. It's as if God is saying, Moses is dead. I'm not. I will keep my promise. That's so helpful to think about, isn't it? It's why we as a church, it's why every local church must actually fight to make sure that what we are dependent on as a church is God Himself, who He is, what He says. His Spirit, and not the man or the men who have been charged with leading and with teaching and with preaching. Now, of course, leadership matters. And of course, there's real influence that God intends through human leadership. But gospel work is the work of God. Kingdom building is God's work. Jesus said... I will build my church. It is not by our might. It is not by our power. It is by His Spirit. You see, so if a leader dies or disappoints or departs or falls into disaster it may bring sadness or struggle or pain but it does not derail the purposes of God his purposes do not change what he will accomplish will not change and so God says Moses is dead but I'm not and look at verse 2 he says get up and go Arise, go to the land, he says, that I am giving to them. I mean, that language is imminent. It is about to happen. God is about to give it. As Israel looks over the Jordan, the giving of the land is on the horizon. But as God speaks, it's not on the horizon. It's actually in the rearview mirror. Look at the end of verse 3. It says that or it's verse 3, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon I have given to you. <laughs> it is as good as done. It is a settled issue. Just consider the deed to all this land in your hands. You see in God's mind it's not well it will be, it is it is. It is. You see, when God promises, it's not like when we promise. When we promise, we may have the best of intentions, but we often fail to keep our promises. God never will. It is not in His nature to fail at keeping His promises. What He says He will do, He will do. What He says He will do it's as good as done. That's how we need to write it down. So when God promises that all things will work together for your good and for His glory, it's as good as done. When God says that suffering produces spiritual maturity and endurance and hope, it is as good as done. When God says nothing will snatch you from His hand, it's as good as done. When God says nothing will separate you from His love, it's as good as done. When God says Christ will return and bring history to its rightful end, it's as good as done. When God says people from every nation, tongue, tribe will gather around the throne and sing about the salvation that Jesus Christ has given to them, it is as good as done. When God says he will raise us up and glorify these bodies to live forever in the new earth, it is as good as done. That's why in Joshua, in, in, in Ephesians, you know what Paul says? Paul says, "Right now, where are we seated? In the heavenly places with Christ. It is as good as done. God repeats His promise not for His own sake, but for His people's sake. God repeats his promise because He wants them to know that Moses' death changes nothing. His purpose is still on track. The promises are still good. It's as good as done. The second thing, not only does God repeat His promises, God gives His presence. Look at verse 5. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Now, in the first part of this, when he says no man will be able to stand against you, (laughs) I mean, it implies that people are going to try. The the fulfillment of this promise is not going to come without conflict. Battles are going to be fought. Lives are going to be lost. Cities are going to be taken. This is going to be war. It's not like they're going to show up at the, at the door of the, the uh, promised land. Uh, who is it? Well, it's uh, Joshua and the Israelites. Um, you're in our land. Would you, would you mind? To, oh, we are so sorry. We did not know you were going to be here this soon. We will pack up, and we will get out now. That's not how it's going to be, is it? Somebody knocks on your door this afternoon and does that, (laughs) you're not going to say, oh, my bad. No. They're going to dig in their heels and pick up their weapons and fight. But God says they won't be able to stop you. In reality, they won't be able to stop God from keeping His promise. There are all kinds of disturbing things in the book of Joshua about death, the death not only of soldiers, but, but, but women and children and the destruction of cities, and it's all very disturbing, and many people question the character of God about these things, so I just want to take a brief sidestep and just address it very briefly, and then we'll jump right back into where we were, because this is a very serious issue for many people back in Genesis, when God promises the land to Abram, He actually tells them it'll be centuries before His people take the land, before they're actually in the land. Why? Genesis 15, the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. In other words, God is actually being patient with these absolute rebels against Him, He doesn't send His judgment immediately. Do you know when we deserve judgment? Faster than that, because I had to actually put my finger to my thumb to snap. But God is patient. The, The iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Now, that's good news for them, and it's also good news for us, because God is patient today. God is slow to anger today. God restrains the fullness of His judgment today. Friend, if you are not a believer in Jesus, He is giving you time right now to see your sin and to turn from it and to turn to Him for salvation. He is patient. So when it comes to these enemies, God has given them time. He doesn't bring His judgment immediately, but He will bring judgment. There is no truly innocent human being. So when Joshua and the Israelites show up at the door, this is God's judgment against these people. Just like when the Assyrians show up at Israel later. Just like when the Babylonians show up at the door later. This is God acting in judgment. And as horrible as the book of Joshua is, and it is, you should read it and you should shudder at the horrid nature of it. as terrible as it is it is only a foretaste of the hell that awaits those who remain in their sin and will not turn to the Lord Now, back to verse 5 here no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life God promises certain victory. And he he explains why it'll be certain. Not because God's given them a great leader in Joshua. Not because he's going to give them special military training. He doesn't pat Joshua on the back and say, hey, you can do it. You can do it. He doesn't do that. God doesn't become Joshua's biggest cheerleader here. He says, this is how it's going to happen. Because God gives them himself. Himself. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. God's presence is going to be the key to success. God's presence was the key to Moses' success in bringing the people out of Egypt. And now God says to Joshua, Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Yes, there will be long days. Yes, there will be hard fights. Yes, there will be tears shed. Yes, there will be tough losses. But I will never leave you or forsake you. That's hard to hang on to in that dark day, isn't it? Because what we want to do is think that our dark day must be an indication that God has left As if the authority of our circumstances trumps the authority of God's promises. But God says, no, I will not leave you or forsake you. And dear Christian, he says the same thing to us. He has given us himself, his presence in the person of the Holy Spirit. As Christians, He dwells within us. And Ephesians 1 says that He is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. That's like different language, but the same kind of thing that God is saying to Joshua. I will be with you. You'll take the land because I'll be with you. Dear Christian, you will get to heaven because God is with you. You will make it through this life because God is with you. You will cross the finish line. You will run the race and finish, and you will see that crown of righteousness because God is with you. Not because of you, because of God. I mean, we face all kinds of enemies, don't we? The world is against us. The devil is against us. Our own flesh is against us. We have an internal war going on. But God says to us, as He says to Joshua, they shall not be able to stand before you. We may be persecuted, but not crushed, struck down, but not destroyed. Not because of us, not because of our knowledge, not because of our skill, but because of God's presence, presence with us, the Holy Spirit given to us, given to us on the basis of the work of Jesus Christ, who is greater than Joshua ever was. Greater because he wasn't just called of God to lead us into victory, he is God in the flesh who came to win the victory without our help. He won it. He came, and He was opposed by the world. He was tempted by the devil, but He wouldn't be defeated. He resisted sin at every point, and then on the cross, He died for us. You see, we suffer humiliating defeats all the time at the hands of the world, the flesh, and the devil. We would be completely, flat-out destroyed if it were up to us. But Jesus doesn't leave us there. On the cross, He died the death that we deserve. He took the punishment for our sin. He absorbed God's wrath. Justice has been satisfied, we sang. Satisfied how? Through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. But on the third day, he rose from the dead victorious over sin, victorious over death, victorious over hell. And as David did with Goliath, he took death's sword and cut off his head. He's never getting up again. And everyone who trusts in the Lord Jesus Christ is forgiven of their sin and shares in that victory. You see, at the end of life, you're either going to be completely defeated and annihilated by your sin. Or you're going to stand with one who won the victory for you and gives it to you. Which one will it be? And for those who trust in Christ though our days are long though our battles are hard though our suffering is deep though our struggle against sin seems to go back and forth and man some days farther much farther back than ever forth victory is still ours because Jesus is ours because God is ours in the spirit he will not leave us or forsake us God gives his presence that is going to be the key to Joshua's success and it is the key to our successful walk with Jesus through this life he is with us do not be frightened do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go God repeats his promise (laughs) Isn't that so kind of God? How many times do you think God has to say something? Once. That's it. He never has to repeat it. He is so merciful. You say, well, we keep coming around to this whole deal about sin and about Jesus' death on the cross. and. Good night. we sing about it every week and we pray and, 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 and then we open up the Bible and we, we start looking at this again. It seems like nowhere, no matter where we land in the Bible, somehow we always end up at the cross. Why is that? Why is it at the end of every first Sunday of the month we're taking up bread and a cup to remember the death of Jesus? I mean, if we have heard this. Oh, but friends, we have such short-term memory problems. it is so easy to forget the cross it is so easy to forget the ground on which I stand right with God it is so easy to forget the blood that was shed it is so easy to forget the wrath that I deserve it is so easy to forget God's love for us is grounded in Christ on the cross and not in the circumstances of my life it is so easy to forget Jesus just know this friend if that stirs up in you man we gotta get on to some we gotta get on we gotta I mean there's there's bigger better fish to fry here just know this it is not spiritual maturity that you would be moving toward if you move away from the cross if it gets out of view if you forget that actually nothing in your hands you bring, it's simply to the cross that you claim. So God repeats His promise. God gives His presence. And thirdly, God calls His people. God calls His people. God is the key to victory. God is going to fight for them, but they are not passive people here. They are to actually do something. The two main things that they are to do is to take courage and walk in obedience. So take courage. Be strong and courageous. That's in verse six. It's in verse seven. It's in verse nine. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous? Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Later in chapter one, the people are going to say to Joshua the very thing that God says here be strong and courageous. In chapter 10, Joshua is going to turn around and tell the people, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. The Lord is with us. God will keep His promise. Do you believe that? God will keep His promise, but God does not promise that it will be easy. Why would you ever have to tell anyone to be strong and courageous if this were just going to be a cakewalk? You wouldn't. You don't get to dessert of the meal, right? Right? And, I, and Brian and I are out to dinner, and we're going to have dessert, and here comes this gigantic fried ice cream that we're going to eat. There's one in front of him. There's one in front of me. I never have to say to Brian, Brian, be strong you can do it you never show up at the beach with your family and you're about to walk down that boardwalk with your, with your chair and with your book and with your tin and with your SPF 150 sunscreen and you don't walk down and you just say now be strong we can get through this week at the beach we can do it be courageous you don't have to do any of that do you? When do you have to tell people to be strong and courageous? When life is going to take strength and courage. And leading the people into the promised land is going to require that. And being the people going into the promised land is going to require that. Essentially, what God says, He says, don't be frightened, don't be dismayed, don't Don't let your circumstances, don't let the armies, don't let the enemies capture your heart. They will lead you into fear. Hold on to my promise. Remember my presence. Keep these in the forefront of your mind so that you can be strong and courageous. In other words, be strong and courageous to Joshua is Paul saying to us, walk by faith, not by sight now we need to hear that don't we we're often paralyzed by fear fear of diagnoses fear of pain fear of failure fear of difficulty fear of the outcome of our children's lives fear of the moral revolution in our culture fear of the future fear of suffering and we need to remind ourselves, don't we? And we need to actually remind one another. Isn't this wonderful? Joshua's not going into the land alone. He's going with a whole bunch of other people. And he doesn't say, look, God, called me, and I don't need to hear anything from anybody. Later in chapter 1, they're going to say, uh, Joshua, be strong. We need to remind ourselves, and we need to remind one another that God will keep his promises to us. He will not fail to keep a single one of them, and he is with us all the way. He will never leave you. If you have Christ, He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He hasn't yet, and He won't. No matter what your circumstance looks like. Dear friends, hear that. From me to you, no matter what your circumstance looks like right now, no matter what looks, it looks like on the horizon, no matter what it looks like in the rearview mirror, no matter what it looks like around you right now, God will not leave you or forsake you. You can be strong in the Lord and be courageous because of the Lord to live for the Lord and that brings us to the second thing walk in obedience Verse seven only be strong and very courageous being careful to do according to all the law that Moses my servant commanded you do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may that you may have good success wherever you go this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it for then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success meditate on God's word God says meditate on my word and obey it the word meditating here literally means to mutter uh, to to mutter something out loud you remember uh, Yosemite Sam right the cartoon character Yosemite Sam he did this all the time He was always meditating on what made him angry, right? I mean, that that is that is what this word looks like. It is like speaking to yourself, and Joshua needs to speak to himself. He needs to mutter, but he doesn't need to speak his own words. He needs to speak God's words. He needs to speak God's promises. He needs to speak God's wisdom to himself. Friend, don't listen to your heart. Speak to your heart. Tell your heart what to think. Tell your heart what to believe. Tell your heart who to trust. Meditate on God's Word. God says, don't just fo- don't focus on military strategy, Joshua. I've got that taken care of. Focus on me. Focus on my Word. Because in the end, it's your obedience... And not your military brilliance that will bring success. We need to hear that. I mean, here we are. In the midst of praying about this Judea project. And where we will plant a church. And in the end, it will not be our ministry brilliance that brings success. But we are so good at that, right? We, are so, we can do that. I mean, we can get in a room, and we can talk strategy, and we can make plans, and we can coordinate, and we can administrate. I mean, we can do all of that. I know This is, this is what we need to do. This is what we need to do in order to, to be a successful church. We've got to have this certain kind of program, that certain kind of online presence, that certain kind of menis- that music, and, and, and all these kinds of things. But it's not just in ministry planning. It's actually in our own lives. We think we can get a system down. I've got the perfect quiet time material for myself. I've got the podcasts lined up. I've got the books lined up. I've got a circuit of churches that I go to to give me everything that I need. I've got the conferences I go to every year. I have got the strategy for my life. I've got the strategy for my ministry. I've got the strategy for my family. And we can feel quite successful because we have all the right strategies, because we're busy. And look, it's not bad to have a strategy to think through what you're going to do, and it's not bad to be busy serving the Lord, but I will tell you that it is easy to leave behind the one thing that God says will bring real success, obedience. When was the last time that came up? As you were thinking about your walk with the Lord? It's so easy to forget, isn't it? Or to just assume it. But I will tell you if you assume obedience, you're not obeying because you don't have to meditate on god's word for assumed obedience so easy to leave behind two things take courage walk in obedience since god will keep his promises take courage and walk in obedience that's the message of these verses and as the book unfolds you know what happens God keeps His promises. By the end, turn forward to chapter 24, the people are in the land, and each tribe is settled in its place. But also in the end, you know what they learned? That the obedience needed to take the land is the obedience that they need in order to keep the land. Listen to chapter 24, beginning in verse 13. This is God speaking well Moses speaking on God's behalf I gave you a land on, or sorry Joshua speaking Lord speaking through Joshua I gave you a land on which you had not labored and cities that you had not built and you dwell in them you eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness Put away the gods that your fathers served before the river, beyond the river, and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And then, verse 20. Joshua says to them, If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then He will turn and do harm and consume you. The obedience needed to take the land is the obedience needed to keep the land. And as the people hear this call, they are eager to obey. They say, Of course we'll do that. Of course we'll serve the Lord. Of course we'll obey the Lord but if we were to turn one page forward in our Bibles one page do you know what we'd learn they can't do it and they won't do it and did you know that what's true of them is true of us that actually it does take obedience to gain God's promise and it does take obedience for us to keep God's promise and just like them we can't obey and actually this is terrible news except except for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ you see through faith in Jesus we're not just forgiven of sin we're counted righteous before God and what that means is that Jesus obedience is our obedience it is credited to us so His obedience secures God's promise of salvation. His obedience keeps the promise of salvation. And His obedience is credited to us. So we will never lose the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. Because Jesus paid it all, He did it all. He did all the obeying necessary. If you're really daring, just dare to think we are saved by good works, but not our own. We are saved by the good works of Jesus Christ on our behalf. Through faith in Him, His work is credited to us. And how do we respond? Well, since God keeps His promises, in Jesus we take courage no matter what life brings our way and we walk in obedience knowing the victory is ours the land is ours goodness gracious the whole world is ours because it belongs to Jesus let's pray Oh God, how thankful we are for the obedience of Jesus Christ. That he obeyed you at every turn. He obeyed your law perfectly. He obeyed all of the commands that you give. He obeyed all of the laws about sacrifice that must be made. That he positively obeyed you. And he fulfilled the law's demand against us as sinners. God, we thank you that you are merciful and that you repeat your promise. We are thankful that you you are generous and you give us your presence. And we thank you that on the basis of that promise and knowing your presence with us, we can heed your call to take courage and walk in obedience through this life. Give us grace to do that. Oh God, I pray that those who don't know Jesus, even this morning, would see all that He has done and would delight in it. Maybe for the first time. They may have heard it a thousand times. But God, would you give them grace so that they delight in it. They love it. They run to Jesus in faith. Thank you that nothing can snatch us from your hand or separate us from your love, and that's as good as done because of Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.